Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, for what you have done for us and through us in the death of your Son that we bring to you today our mind, our the will of our hearts and our, of our flesh being laid out before you today at the foot of, of the cross so that you may command what we ought to feel and how we ought to think and what we ought to do. In all things, may you be glorified. For you would have said that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and in earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let our mind, our heart, and our mouth lift up the name of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. Let everything that is being said and heard and understood and received into our hearts today be glorifying to you and be edifying to the church and be nourishment to our souls, our inner beings. And we give you this time, our attention, our heart, our love to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matthew 15. This is the Lord's rebuke of the Pharisees. Sometimes we, we don't want to hear the Lord's rebuke, but it is part of his ministry. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastises. So the Lord's chastisement or the Lord's rebuke is something that is done out of love and is not out of hatred for us. So when he rebukes you, when the Lord rebukes us, or when he say that we have done something wrong, it does not mean that he hates us. On the contrary, it means that he loves us because we belong to him, and therefore he rebukes us. So don't take what um, I say or anyone say out of love as out of hatred for you. Everything that we do in accordance to the word of God is meant so that you would grow. But when we are rebuked, we are challenged to do better. That's how we are built. If you got hurt once before, the next time you are much more aware to save your life. So the Lord's rebuke is a way for God and a way for the church to help us to grow and help us to stay from sinning against Him. If you only praise your kids, you will watch. Their performance will dip. I'm not saying that we never praise our kids. I'm saying that there should be a balance. But if you never tell them what's right and what's wrong, you never show them the right way and tell them what they did was wrong, then they will never learn. They thought that they are something you're always good. You can't do nothing wrong. Well, nothing they do will be believed that is wrong, even when they did something wrong. And in this passage, the Lord is rebuking the Pharisees. And let's look at it in context here. So Matthew chapter 15, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands, but they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the command of God by your traditions? Now listen, he did not defend his disciples for not washing their hands. Note this, Jesus is not telling you not to wash your hands. When we read the Bible, make sure we read it in context. What he is saying is that both of you are wrong, but one is fixable and the other one is hard. Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother, This is a gift by whatsoever thou mayest be profited by me. Meaning, 
if I've done some charity work, then I've done it for you, mom, and for you, dad, so I don't have any obligation for you. That's the, the tradition, and that's what Jesus is railing against. And honor not his father or mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandment of man. Thus to focus on the word that Jesus used here, hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who does something opposite of what's going on inside of them. What is God interested in? Does God interested in the outside or the inside? God is interested in both, the inside and the outside. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now, let me ask you this question. Can someone change their behavior and not change their heart? Is it possible for someone to have a change in the inside and the outside is not changed? Yes, that's also possible. You can have the change from the inside, but the flesh is weak. And therefore, we need to cultivate the flesh, and that's why we need to fast, that's why we need to pray, that's why we need to study, because your heart knows that you need to follow the Lord, but the flesh is weak. But if the inside is not changed, no way the outside can be changed. But if you only change the outside and not the inside, no way. There is no possibility that your inside will change. You can beat your kids up. You can beat your children up as much as you can. But unless they change their heart, it's nothing going to change. But, however, if the heart is changed, then eventually the outside will change. The important thing is, how do you change the heart? What is man's purpose? Psalm 51.6 Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward part. God's purpose for us is to change our heart. The intent of the Lord is to show how we should worship God. Do you know how to worship God? I'm not only talking about praising on Sunday. I'm not talking about singing. I'm talking about your whole life as an offering to God in worship. What does God require? How does God want us to worship Him? Turn with me to Romans 121. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. This text tells you that even though cognitively your brain knows God, but you can live a life not honoring to God. You can live a life not glorifying to God. You can know God and still reject living by his commandment. Knowing God does not mean, meaning I'm saying understanding the way, the form of worship does not mean that you are worshiping God the way that he wants you to. Neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Your knowledge of God, your understanding of God still leads to a darkening of the heart. Think about this. Because the scripture says that even though you have a concept, a knowledge of God, your mind is still corrupted with vain imagination and your heart is still darkened. So what is God's purpose? God's purpose for us is to change our heart, change our imagination, change the way we 
take in what we believe. The responsibility for every person that God created, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, the purpose that God has created everyone was to glorify God as God. If you don't glorify God as God, then you have sinned against Him. That is why when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing that you do is you confess your sin. And what is that sin? That sin is you are a, a, creator, a created being that God, the Creator, has created you and you did not worship Him. So you confess your sin, that sin of not worshiping God the way that He should be worshipped. So God has ordained for us to glorify Him and glorifying God is how we worship God. And that is what the Lord Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the scribes. They're saying that you have all the right forms on the outside, but you're not glorifying God. You are not worshiping God. So in the beginning, when the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, Moses came and Moses told Pharaoh. And what did he say? Let my people go so that they, they can worship him. The Israelites were God's people. They were living in captivity. They have lost the knowledge of how to worship God. And God sent this man, uh, Moses, and he went to the people to take people out of captivity, bring them into the wilderness so that they can do what? They can worship God. And how did they worship God? They don't know how to worship God. Moses went up to the mountain, got the law from God, and then came down with the law and said, Oh, Israel, no, this is the pattern in which you should worship the Lord. God set up the way in which Israel supposed to worship God. And every day they did according to what Moses taught them. Now, whether or not they felt something, that's irrelevant. But what they did was they obeyed what Moses told them, this is how you are supposed to worship God. And that's what they did. They worshiped God according to how Moses laid out the pattern. They have to give sacrifice. They have to cleanse themselves. They have to be a certain way before the Lord. When they walk up the steps, they have to walk a certain way. When they come into the temple, they have to come in a certain way. That is a form of worship ordained by the law. Now, the law can make you do certain things, and you conform to the law. For example, you drive, you're about to go driving, you go out there, and probably your dad say, son, look at the posted speed limit, and go according to the posted speed limit. And you look at it, and it says 30 on this road over here. And what do you do? You try to go speed limit. Do you want to go speed limit? No. None of you, especially Jang over here. She never wants to go speed limit. The law is designed so that, but you go speed limit because that's what it says. Okay? Because you're afraid of the consequences of getting a $400 ticket. The intent of the law is change your behavior, but it cannot change what? Your heart. It cannot change your heart. If I don't think the police is around, I can speed as much as I can without thinking at all. Why is there a speed limit? I expect other people to drive according to the law, and I am above the law. I never thought about the possibility of me driving so recklessly that I would crash into someone and possibly injure or kill them. I never thought about what if in that car there's one of you in there. There's a baby. I never thought about it. You see, the law intent is to make sure that everyone is safe. The law's intent is so that everyone can live in harmony together. That's the law intent. But when we break the law, when we don't care about the law in terms of what the Jews are doing here, 
they were given the law and they find loopholes around the law so that they can live the way they want to and yet still look like they're obeying the law. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you're hypocrites. This is what the law is meant to do, is to change your heart. Can't you go on to live by your traditions? And some of us today, as long as I go to church, as long as I show up, maybe once a year, that is enough. That's not what God wants. God wants your soul. God wants to change you from the inside. The law is meant to cause you to think about what we do and how we're supposed to live our lives. But then we find ways. If you know, there is any kind of loophole, I will hop through it. The law is there as a way to remind you, think about why there is this law. Unfortunately, the law is unable to change people. Try to go without food for a day, fast for a day. And then someone like your mom or your dad come. It's okay, just eat a little bit. Try to resist that. Try to find a, a, a way to overcome your flesh. It's hard. It's hard to put the flesh under the confine of the law because the Apostle Paul says this, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. The law is weak through the flesh. And therefore, the law also strengthened sin. Now in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the strength of sin is the law. Where there is law, you know that you can obey the law or you know that you can break the law. So the strength of sin, of your sin, of your willingness to want to break the law is because there exists the law. What is your heart toward God? We know that the law cannot make you worship God. The people use tradition to manipulate the law so that they don't have to obey the law, even though on the outside, it seems like they're still obeying the law. And Jesus goes on to say, he's interested in changing your heart. Then you want to obey the law. So in the intent of true worship, let's look at Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. What is acceptable to God is a broken and contrite spirit. What is broken? We have broken God's law. Broken means that you are hurting. You know that you did something wrong. The understanding that you have done something wrong and you're owning up to that responsibility. What is contrition? Contrite heart. What is contrition? Contrition is you are, you are remorseful. You feel very bad about what you have done wrong. If you are driving, you got into a car accident, and the person in the car in front of you had a little child, a little kid, and because you hit that car, the kid died. What you're feeling as I'm describing this to you you wish that you could just take it all back. That is contrition. That's what God's looking for. The contrition is you wish that it never happened. You wish that you were not in that car. You wish that you never got out in the street that day to begin with. That is contrition. That's what God is looking for as a heart of worship. Okay. True worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is looking for worshipers not on the outward appearance. 
not how well you can sing, how good you can play an instrument, or what kind of lick you can do on the guitar, or how faithful you are in attending church service, or how generous you are in giving money to the poor, helping out at the soup kitchen. They even have those anymore. True worship that God seeks is the one that filled with contrition and brokenness. First for yourself and for other people that you see and meet. That's what God's looking for. That's what it means by God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And the intent of Jesus as it relates to the law is to transform the worshiper. So Jesus the reason why he came and the reason why Jesus was born was to replace what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteousness of the law might be imputed to you. Jesus Christ came because the law could not do it. The Old Testament law could not do it. The history of the church has been shown that the law could not change your inside. The law could not change your heart. And therefore, God's sending his son to change your heart, to transform your heart. Now, if your heart is not changed, it is because you're following the law and you're not following the Lord. If you are following the Lord Jesus Christ, then he will change and transform your heart and not just your action. Now, Jesus says, if you wash the inside of the cup, the outside would be clean. You can't wash the outside of the cup only and expect the inside to be clean. And Jesus Christ saying, the law tries to change the outside, try to clean you from the outside, and it can't. So Jesus Christ came so that he can be in you. The temple of God is no, is no longer outside. Think about it this way. The temple that God has ordained Solomon to build, or um, for that matter, Moses to build, people came into the temple. When they came into the temple, they are inside the temple, meaning the temple engulf them. It cannot change them. Hopni and Phineas, priests of the temple, were corrupted. They served in the temple, but they were corrupted. The sons of Aaron were corrupted. They offer strange fires inside the temple. What Jesus Christ did was he reversed the model and he took the temple and did what? And he put the temple inside of you. And now the temple, when it's inside of you, when Christ is inside of you, the transformation happens from the inside out. Here's the story. Let's turn with me to Luke chapter 18. And we look at this, this story between these two worshipers. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee, I am not as the other man, extortioners, unjust, adulterer, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday. I give thighs to all I possess. This should embarrass us all. The piety of what God's demands on the outside, we seem not to do. I'm ashamed that I don't even fast twice a week. You see, God is not only interested in change. Oh, as long as I love the Lord, I live selflessly. I never give a dime to the poor. I never concern myself with those who have not. I don't put my body in the subjection of who I believe and worship. I don't care to fast at all. You think God cares that you fast? 
Do you think God cares that you give money to the poor, that you help out the destitute, the homeless? When thou seest the naked, turn not thyself from thy own flesh. Isn't that what God says? Isn't that what the fasting that God requires of us? To break the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burden, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke? Isn't that what God is calling us to do? Just like the young man, the rich young ruler, Lord, what do I do? And he said, well, obey the commandment of Moses. And the, the young man says, Lord, I did all of that. Well, good. That's the start. That's what the law demands. That's what we all should do. But first, go home, sell all you have, give it to the poor, take up the cross, and come follow me. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smoke upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and everyone humbled himself shall be exalted. God is interested in not just the heart, but what the heart exemplifies. You see, the heart of a person should change their behavior. If you love someone, or if you claim that you love someone, then where is the actions, or where are the actions that exemplify what you say that you love someone? You say, I care for the poor, but you never give a dime to someone in need. You care about what happened around the world, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, but when there's a call to give, you hold on to your purses and you hold on to your wallets, even in the church, here, we talk about giving to the church for the things that we would do, for missions, for even for the, the poor in our neighborhoods here. And you say, well, how much do I have to give? Do I have to give what? God changed the hearts not so that we can say, oh, I have a good heart. But God changes the heart so that it transforms not us from the inside only, but also on the outside. If you have a new heart, then your actions should reflect what our heart is. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines of commandment of man, Jesus says. We can be so good at attending. We can be so good at singing. We can be so good at doing all the lighting perfectly, all the music synchronized, all the singers doing all the right things. And then what happens when they walk off the stage? What happens when those people go back into their homes? You come to church, and even now, you learn all the ways of worship. You learn how to do all the things to glorify God. And then in your private space, you pick up the guitar, you sit at home, and you play all these secular songs. What is in the heart? It reflects what we do on the outside. Is that right? Then I would say, your heart is not right before God. There's a discrepancy between what's on the inside and what we do on the outside. There shouldn't be. There should be a synchronicity between what's on the inside and what's on the outside. It should be synchronized. The outward form without the truth. God says, the Pharisees, not justified. Did all the right things, but what's in the heart is not right. Broken and contrite spirit. And God said, that man will go down justified. Because when the heart is changed, then his outward will change too. 
See, what the Pharisees said was true. He would not dare to deceive God. He did, in fact, stand there and pray to God. So he did all these things. He's not lying to God, for sure. But God is saying, that's not what he's interested in. He's interested in the change in the inside that reflects on the outside, not your ability to do all the right things, but the heart is wrong. Paul says, these people have a form of godliness, but no inner change of godliness. Run from these people. The ones that have the form of godliness, the ones that on the outside, they look like Christians, but then on the inside is run, whitewash bones. He told Timothy, run, flee, run from these people. Mindless worship. Jesus rebuked the Samaritan woman. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. You see, Jesus wants you to understand why you worship and the content of your worship, not mindless worship. And Jesus says, you Samaritan, you look at the mountains and you think by worshiping at the mountain, you're doing the right thing. And Jesus says, no, you need to understand true worship. You need to have an understanding of what true worship is. Jesus wants us to understand why we worship, understand what is the content of our worship. And this is important. He said, salvation is of the Jew. This is the essence of what worship is. God has ordained a form of worship, and he gave that form of worship to the Jews. The Jews have the form of worship. Now, they did, didn't do it with their heart and requires Jesus, but that is a form that God has ordained. For the Samaritan to worship God correctly, they have to adhere to the form of worship that was given by Moses at Sinai and now at Jerusalem, not according to how they invent worship should be. Now, Christians, today, we think that we can invent our own forms of worship. And Jesus will look at that and he will say, in vain do you worship me. Because God has his own form of worship. And the form of worship of God is the pattern that he laid out according to what he has given to the Jews. That is the form of worship. That's how the pattern of worship, that's how we should worship God. Now, the Lord referred to salvation is that we understand what God demands. For example, let's say baptism. Jesus says that you should be baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. That is the form of worship. When we baptize people, we are engaging in liturgical worship. And when everyone here, I hope, when I baptize you, you hear me say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the pattern. This is the form. We should and we have to. Otherwise, it's of no effect. When we worship God, we adhere to a pattern, a form that God has ordained that is on the outside. We can't just invent, you know what, those words are words that anyone can use, so all I have to do is, I baptize you, that's it. Can I do that? I say, those old words, those old saying is irrelevant. You know what I mean, right? Is that good enough? There's a form in which God ordains certain type of worship, and I'll tell you the reason why. If there is no form, then anyone can do anything they want. We should worship God according to the standard and the ordinance of the Word of God. And therefore, we must learn the Bible. Whatever God says in here, we should do. And here, I want to leave you with this so you, you think about when you worship God. Have you ever sing the songs and you have no idea what the words mean? Do you think that's honoring to God? That you don't know what the words mean? And some of you said, well, of the songwriter. They wrote it so complicated that I don't understand it. It's their fault. Can we say that? You pick the song. You sing the song. You should know what the content of the song is. And I will tell you why this is important. Psalm 47, verse 7. For God is the king of all the earth. And this is what he says. 
Sing ye praises with understanding. God is not interested in mindless worship. God is not interested in you just mouthing the word without engaging your mind into what you are saying. You should know and believe what you're saying, singing, worshiping God. We need to worship God with our understanding and not just, oh, I like the music. It doesn't matter what the words say, even though the words might be completely anti-biblical. We need to know what we are singing. We need to be judicious in understanding what we are saying, what we are singing. Lastly, the shape of worship. Traditions puts in your heart worship because it cannot reveal the inward part. What I mean by that is that you can go to church when the music turns on, you're asked to stand up, you stand up, and you're asked to sing, you can just stand there and you can sing, and then that's it, that's the end of your worship. Tradition can do that. And then you walk out of the church feeling, I've done my duty. Whew, that was a long service. But tradition cannot change the heart. In the same worship service, someone stood there, and when they heard the words, it's my blood shed for you, and replaced over and over in her mind, and she couldn't stand it anymore. So she runs out to the bathroom, and she weep and weep and weep. That happens last week. True worship is sincerity. See, the Lord praised the publican not because he was a sinner, but because he knew and acknowledged his sin. He will change. When his heart is changed, he will change. This publican will change. But it starts with acknowledging your sin and broken and contrite heart. True worship begins with an honest assessment of who you are, Sinners are in need of God's mercy. You see, the publican stood there and he said, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. That's true worship. It begins there, but it does not end there. Where it ends is God justified the sinner. See, although the sinner was overcome with guilt, like many of us, and we say, you know what, I don't feel like I should go to church today because I'm so unholy and God is holy. See, the publican, if he did that, he would not be justified. But even in all his guilt, and sin-laden mindset, he still came to God. He still stood there with his head to the ground and said, forgive me, for I'm a sinner. That's worship. Worship is when you don't feel, you don't sense that there's anything good in you. And that's why you come to God and you say, God, have mercy on me. That's true worship. Sincerity is what God wants to see in us. And when we come to God, not because we feel good today, we feel like, I have a strong voice today. I feel like I want to sing those songs today. Therefore, I come to church. But true worship is when you bring to God the sacrifice of your praises, even though you don't have the strength to sing anything. True worship is the respect for God's mercy and the gratitude for Christ's sacrifice. Let us offer sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Worship is a sacrifice. It's when we come to God filled with all of the baggage of sin and guilt and condemnation and we come, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Worship is because you look around and you see there's nothing left except the one you love. And even though you, you fail and you Broke his heart, you know that he still loves you. And when you come before him, he receives you. That's what worship is. 
How will you sing your salvation songs? What gifts will you offer up to the Son of Man? And when you come into worship, Christ's love is the shape of our worship. When His love burns within us, songs as this, many waters cannot quench love. Worship is a consummation between the sinner and a forgiving and merciful God. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. We thank you for your love and your patience with us. We thank you for sending your Son to offer to us not only the sacrifice, enabling the sinners to be justified before God, but to show us the pattern of worship that we should model our lives accordingly. We thank you for the shape of love that Jesus Christ, your sacrifice, your life of devotion and obedience and complete and utter dependency on the Father shows us that this change has to be made from within. I pray for each one of us to come into the encounter of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that there is a change not from the outside, the form and the shape, but from the inside, the heart and our sincerity, that by which, Lord, that our worship will change accordingly, and that you will say, this person, this sinner, will go down justified. And we thank you, Lord, for the love and for your word has encouraged us. We thank you for all those who have gone before us to lay the foundation of trust, of love, and to keep this pattern of worship throughout the church history. And I pray that we will be faithful to the, the call and to the charge to continue to promulgate this sincere form of worship until we are gone. And the next generation will take up the mantle and they will continue in the sincerity and in the true worship that you have called each one of us. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.